come to the scriptures tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll begin there in verse 4 in just a moment, if you'll find your place as we continue studying through these guidelines, the picture, the, the plan that the Lord has given for his church. Uh, sometimes as a pastor, you struggle in how much to spend in different areas, and I had fully felt I had left this portion of scripture last week and would move on. Uh, and again, as I studied, the Holy Spirit reminded me of some things here. And as always, many of our young parents and families say, Pastor, teach us, tell us, help us in this endeavor to raise our children. And so we ask the Lord to bless his word tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. Men did not devise it. We are not following cunningly devised fables or the popular opinion of the day. This instruction was not given to us by the talk show host or the commentators or the social gadflies of our generation. This is the eternal word of God. This is what we will stand and give an account before you at the great day, the great day of judgment and examination. So with that in mind, Lord, we, we pray that you'd help us to see the gravity of these things. And Lord, I pray for every mother and father, especially of young children, those young days of molding and guiding and pointing them to the things of Christ. I pray for all of our children, Lord, and grandchildren. I pray for those who may have a special burden and concern about children who may not be following in the ways of the Lord. And we know that, that Satan is so cunning and that we're so frail. And so we plead, we throw ourselves upon your mercy and your grace and ask, Lord, oh, would you not intervene? We think of situations where only you can, can take over, Lord, and intervene. And our prayers go with them and to them and ask for you to do what you alone can do. Now strengthen us, encourage us by your word tonight, we pray. In Jesus' precious and matchless name, amen. The scripture tells us that in the latter days, things will grow wax worse and worse, that there will be people without natural affection, the normal way that God has given in the scriptures of love and care for one another, that, that people will become fierce, heady, high-minded, lovers of self, disobedient, uh, children and parents, strife is described there unnatural, and it seems as if Satan has, in his last great surge, as we move toward the, the close of mankind, that he's aimed his sharpest arrows and greatest cannon at the, the thing that's dearest to the heart of God, and that is the home. I would remind you that the first service that was performed was not a Lord's Supper or a morning worship service. The first service performed was by God himself in a beautiful garden where he joined a man and a woman in holy matrimony. He pronounced it good. He designed it out of his great wisdom and power and his own excellencies as he designed man and saw that it was not good that man be alone and gave him a helpmeet and set up the pattern for eternal, uh, till he comes again, of his pattern on earth. As we've been studying the pastor, the elder of, elders of the church, we come now to the pastor at home. And while these words are given directly to those who would lead God's people, this is the things that we'll talk about tonight are true of every Christian home. And I hope that we as families and uh, homes here at Glen Iris Baptist Church will pray that God would strengthen every home, every marriage, 
And these parents, especially of young children who are rearing their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We praise the Lord for the young families here. Isn't that encouraging? And the baby boom in the nursery. And uh, those who are dedicating, bring them on. We'll do that every Sunday, all right? That's, that's, that's great. In the book entitled Between Two Worlds, the author writes, A man cannot only preach, he must also live. And the life he lives with all of its little peculiarities is one of two things. Either it emasculates his preaching or it gives it flesh and blood. We cannot hide what we are. Indeed, what we are speaks as plainly as what we say. When these two voices blend, the impact of the message is doubled. But when they contradict each other, even the positive witness of the one is negated by the other. This was the case with the man Spurgeon describes as a good preacher but a bad Christian. He preached so well and lived so badly that when he was in the pulpit, everybody thought he should never come out of it. And when he was out of it, they declared he should never get back in it. It is at this point that a practical problem presents itself. Pastors are told to be models of Christian maturity. Well, the goal of leadership is not just to be uh, in a stagnant way. It is to influence others to perform and to be as well. And whatever a pastor truly is will influence those who sit under his ministry to be committed to what he says And I will tell you as your pastor, that hangs over my head most heavily. Two things do so as I prepare each week and as I lead the Lord's church here at Glen Iris. That, number one, I will stand before him one day and give an account for everything that I did and said and was. And secondly, the the burden of living before you and seeing in your homes and your lives the gospel lived out and carried out as well. What a great burden that is and a joy it is. When we see, as the scripture says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. Teaching sets the nails. And those of you who are, who are carpenters, you know how nails have to be set. Teaching does that. But influence is the hammer that drives the nails into the goal. God expects his people to have a godly influence on others. When we study through the, the, par- the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, not the parable on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount... Our Lord declares, you are light. He didn't say, I want you to try to be light. If you can work it out, shine. Just let this little light of mine shine. No, you are light. If there's any light where you work, it'll be you putting that light there and the other believers are in that place. You're the light. Whatever light they'll see there, God's people will bring it. There will be no other thing considered light, God's light, where we are, but through his people. Do you realize the severity of that. You are salt, not I want you to be salt and try to redeem and purify and, and, and um, sanctify the, wherever you are. You know, you are salt. And then he goes on to say, if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? Christians who have no saltiness, Christians who do not shine brightly, what good are they? What, what good is the influence if it's hidden, set under a bushel, and to no avail. And nowhere does this begin so keenly than at home. At home. God expects us 
to have a godly influence to others. And this has always been his pattern to his people when they entered the land of promise. He told them in Leviticus 18 verse 3, After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, where you came from, don't do that. Don't be that. You shall not do. You shall not practice their ways. Today this is sneered at by even God's people and called legalistic. But God told his people, what you saw and learned in Egypt, don't let that be how you act in the land of Canaan. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, when you go there, the people who live there, don't act like them. Don't live like them. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances or in their ways. Oh, how we've moved from this. It's grievous. I read just this last week where one of the the major pop young people, I don't know how else to describe him, who has been arrested almost weekly for his shenanigans, just absolutely uh, deplorable, has now been embraced by one of the mega churches out in California. And they have him on the the pulpit weekly, and he's going to show them how to do it. Can you imagine such a thing? And uh, his uh, former girlfriends and co-workers are, are joining him. And, and, and it's just, it gets more and more unbelievable and ludicrous as you read and hear of it. And, and how they like the vibe of the church. And it's, you know, it's cool and a cool place to be. And he makes some kind of uh, flimsy excuse to the fact, I know I've made some mistakes, but I'm going to own up to them. And just almost, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And I'm going to use this venue to... to I guess influence. I don't know uh, what, what else you could say about it. But, but this is where we are today. And the church has no better sense than to, to embrace that and think that's the way it should be. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. We could go on, but it is clear as believers we're to follow good examples and to shun bad ones. I mean, that's throughout the scriptures, throughout the Proverbs. Make no friends with an angry man. On and on and on, the, the, the injunctions that we're given of how to, to live out this life. We ourselves are to be patterns, and then we're to look for patterns who emulate these things in the scripture to follow. Paul told the Thessalonians to be followers of us and of the Lord. And he put those together. He, he made no... Uh, 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 apology about saying follow us and the Lord because in his mind and heart we will follow him as closely as we know how realizing that we're human realizing that we're not perfect but follow us and the Lord to the Philippians he wrote that they were what they had learned and received and heard and seen in him to practice do those things not just agree and say amen and, and marvel or whatever do them you, you likewise do those things In Hebrews 13, verse 7, speaking of this very thing of elders and pastors, remember them that have the spiritual authority over you who have spoken unto you the word of the Lord, whose faith follow. Not just think about them, but follow their faith, considering the end of their way of living, the end of their conversation. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see the power of influence in Israel's kings And in fact, we see two themes. When the Holy Spirit records the good kings, he says of them that they followed after the example of David. And when he talks about the evil kings, which were much more in number than the good kings, he said they followed after the sins of David. 
And when you read those men, you see that their lives speak uh, for themselves. It is not enough for a leader in the church to teach the truth. He must model it. And as Richard Baxter, the Puritan writer, writes, It is not likely that the people will much regard the doctrine of such men when they see that they do not live what they preach. They will think that he doth not mean as he speaks, if he does not live as he speaks. They will hardly believe a man that seemeth not to believe himself. And so it is. All of this is magnified in the microcosm of the pastor's home. We see here in verse 4 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For in this parenthetical statement, If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now what does that mean? What does that say? Some would just brush over it and explain it away. But we cannot do that as we study the scriptures. These are very bold statements, aren't they? And they deserve our close scrutiny. The pastor must be exemplary in his personal life. And what I say here, this would be of every father because you pastor your, the church that is in your house. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every family is a little church and we come together to be a larger picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're saying here of the pastor is should be true of all of us who lead in God in our homes. He must be influential in the lives of those who sit around his kitchen table. His greatest ministry is not in the pulpit, but it is around his table. My wife taught me this early on when our children would, would come at the end of the day. And I'm a, I'm a person that does certain things a certain way. And uh, it's been her ministry to help me out of that, you know, because you can get into this rut. We do this at this time and this at this time. And, uh, you know, of course, the one who does it doesn't think they're stuck, but others have to show them, you know, you're, you're pretty stuffy there. And our children would, would almost every night. And I was making a beeline for the bed, knowing I had to get up at a certain time. You know, you, you're on that, that treadmill. And there they would come and lay across the bed, lay across my ankles. And here I am. We need to get to bed. Everybody get to bed. And they want to just lay there and talk and, and uh, f- do foolishness and everything. And here I am trying to. And finally one day she said, you know what? You are absolutely ruining any chance that you'll have of finding out what's going on in their lives. They're, they're, they're standing there, you know, spilling the beans, telling their hearts, and you're wanting to go to bed. And, uh, you know, go on with the, the sleep and getting up and start the whole thing. This is your congregation. This is, this is who you need to listen to, and they need to listen to you. Well, we have to learn those things, don't we, and seize the opportunity, seize the moment to live before and to listen and to be what we should be. This is where it really happens. The, the test laboratory of, of all that he says or does, some groups throughout history have tried to get around this by saying, well, their leadership shouldn't marry. They just won't have wives or children. And that will make it real easy not to have to, to, to be real people, you know. And, and it is true that for some people, the Lord does not intend for them to marry or bear children. But the majority of cases, it is true. And it is certainly erroneous to teach that the leadership of the church should not have wives or, or, or children. Paul did not, but he said, do I not have a right to lead about a sister as Peter and the others? It was God's will for him not to, and he accepted that, and he was just as comfortable with that as if the Lord had given him a wife and ten children. But uh, 
this is the pattern and that, that most people can, can uh, emulate and, and have, uh, be at ease with. And this is where it really happens. This error goes against the whole picture of the picture of a bride and his groom, of Christ and his church, as, to be as believers as dear children following the, and imitating our Heavenly Father. And all those pictures that God gives us are of the home and parents and children and that relationship and authority and submission and all those hard-to-do words and attitudes that are given to us in the Scripture. We are to be spiritual fathers and mothers in the church. And if your children are grown and are outside the home and are off maybe in another place, you're to be a spiritual father and mother and example to others here. You see, all of us are either a mother or a father or a child. And our relationships in the church are to emulate that. We're just to treat all the women as our mothers or our sisters and all the men as our fathers or as our brothers. That, that shows us a very clear picture of what our relationship here should be, that respect and that giving of account and, and also giving the benefit of the doubt and grace and so forth. Look there in verse 4. He says, one that ruleth his household. That word ruleth means presides over or has authority over those that God has put him directly over. Satan hates order. He hates God's order, and he's everlastingly at it to, to eradicate it. Do you not see that? Even as we speak in our own state, in our nation, of blurring the lines, of calling what God calls right and good and the standard and the picture, absolutely obliterating that. Because we do emulate the Heavenly Father and His love for us. And what an important thing this is. Do you see how perverted it is in so many ways? But a perversion means reverse. It, it does not mean just necessarily something sordid. We, look, we think of a perversion as some act or deed. But perversion is a, a, a distorting or reverting the order that God has given. That's what Lucifer did when he tried to exalt his throne above the throne of God. He perverted the order. The created is to be under the rule of the creator. It's a perversion to, to twist that or to, to change that about. Absentee fathers, those who don't actively lead by example. And that's not just someone who never goes to the home. It's just someone who zones out. He's not there. And that's what my wife was trying to, to get me to see those many years ago when our children were small. You can be here, and you can say all the right things, and you can cross the T's, but if you're not actively engaged in seizing the opportunities where you live as they, they, they happen, you're missing an invaluable opportunity to, to pastor your family. Some, you, the same word here used uh, of rule is used in chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well. And so they're showing that the home mirrors the church and that both are an apt picture of the other. Notice that the pastor is to lead how. He tells us how he's to lead well. He is to lead his home well. That's from the, the word kalos. And it means excellently or beautifully. Isn't that a, a wonderful way of putting it? His home should be a beautiful home. And this is not how the pictures on the wall and the rugs on the floor or the building itself. But the order and the, the living out of the family should be a beautiful mirror of the Lord and his church. And when things are done right, the Lord tells us he does things decently and in order, doesn't he? In his church, that's the way he wants it done. And so the same should be uh, in his home, and we should strive for that. Uh, when things are done right, it's a beautiful picture to a frowning world who doesn't understand submission or husbands being heads. All of that's negatively seen by the world, isn't it? And, and people, 
castigate it and characterize it and, and caricature it in so many different ways. And usually it's negative, a boorish dictator father, you know, pot belly sitting there with the, 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 the what do you call it, the TV thing, you know, get me a beer and make it snappy and all that kind of thing. This, the negative thing, they say that's uh, what you're, you're preaching. That's the opposite of what we're talking about here. Away with the thought. Get that out of your, your mind. That's not, a, that's not a leader. That's what it looks like. It's negative and then it's, it's, it's not what the Lord has for us here. A, a pastor's home life should be a beautiful portrait of Christ's love and, and sacrifice and harmony and unity and submission and all those things that are required in his church. A man can be morally qualified to fit the moral qualifications of, of the leadership of the church and yet be disqualified by not being the proper leader in his home. There are many places of service in the church but, but for him, but not in this area because of his lack of leadership in the home. One that ruleth well his own house. Well, what does that mean? Or, or literally, his household. And that means everything connected with a family. Uh, his finances, his possessions, his resources, all that comes under the category of a household. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Those who should be under his authority. Those children, these are minor children here in the in view. Those who are looking to their father to supply their needs, to pay the rent, and all those things. They're, they're not of age or on their own. This is the picture here. And uh, while it doesn't mean that, that, that if they're grown, that it doesn't apply to them, but that's a different situation. The picture is here is while the children are in his home, and of course we pray that they will live it, out as we prayed this morning all the days of their life, as we dedicated uh, little Abigail this morning. These children are to be respectful and disciplined and believers. Titus 1 verse 6 says, Having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now this is serious, isn't it? And some may say, well, what a standard that would be. Gravity here, where it says, Having his children in subjection with all gravity, means, literally means the word dignity. And while you might not connect that with the home, uh, and it's not speaking of a home with a butler and ringing for service and all that, you know, wealthy and that kind of thing, but the word dignity means much more than, than that, or, or not at all. It means courtesy and humility and competence. And these are the pictures that the Holy Spirit is drawing for us here. And it could be uh, translated to respect or even stateliness. In other words, the elders' children bring honor to their parents. And is that not what the, the commandments command of all children? Honor your parents. Children, be obedient to your parents, as we read in the, in the commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. Give them that reverential awe and respect, even as you do to the, to the Lord. We're to honor him, aren't we? We're to fear him and to live in respect to him. The idea is that a pastor's family is not chaotic or confusion. And I say that with a smile because on any given day you may think that's order, you know, but it may be the order of that day. We may be doing water balloon fights today. That's what we put on the, the order, uh, on the, the, the chalkboard of things to do today. But, but you know what I mean? That attitude of, of people know their roles and their places and, and their respect, and it's a place of, of respect and mutual love. Not confusion. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes and going their own way. That's the very opposite of what the Holy Spirit is teaching us here. They're seen as a family unit, 
as orderly and disciplined and, and not rebellious as Titus 1 verse 6 is not accused of dissipation or rebellion. In John MacArthur's commentary on these verses, he writes, the point is that one given the task of leading men and women to justification and sanctification and service in the church must have shown in the home that he's capable of such leadership. I want to borrow from Dr. MacArthur's commentary here where he gives four keys, and this is where we're opening the doors. We've moved now just from the pastor's home to all of our homes because uh, this is what we're, we're, we're so concerned about here. Four keys to, for, to producing children who bring honor to their parents. And that's what the scripture says here. Having his children in subjection, bringing honor to their parents with all gravity or seriousness. And so I want to especially encourage you young uh, parents and families to take note of what he says about this, these four things. Four keys to producing children who bring honor to their parents. First, he says, a father must exercise the authority that makes it advisable for his children to obey. The scripture speaks to this, and it's a marvel to me that even modern-day Christians and professing believers do not see the importance of discipline in the home. We have been ostracized and uh, listened to the Oprahs and those of the world. We've heard horror stories of how people have done it wrong, and yet the Scripture is not silent in this area. And it, it's a marvel to me that some Christian parents think they know better than what God does about parenting. When God says he spares no chastening to his own children, and part of the proof that we are indeed children of God is that he chastens us. And I realize that discipline takes various forms, but the Bible does speak very pointedly of, of corporal punishment of children of young age who, uh, who, who, where it's justified. And he says discipline must be met with immediately, immediate negative consequences. Proverbs 25, verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And that's not mean chasing dandelions or, or, or butterflies, that, not that kind of foolishness. Do you know what the Hebrew word foolishness means? It means uh, perverseness is bound in the heart of children. They're born depraved sinners. And it may not act it out at a very young age, although I've heard Dr. James Dobson said when that baby pitches a tantrum, he has all the anger and angst that uh, if he would, if he was a grown man, he could kill you if he could. If he had the power to do it, that's how mad he is. Red in the face, thrown in the floor, kicking the, the floor. He has all the, the emotions that a murderer on death row does when he carries out that, that crime. Now, there are parents in this room who are saying, oh, no, Pastor. Now, you've, you've gone a little bit too far here, and that's not our little bundle of joy that we have at home. Oh, yes, it is. The Holy Spirit says foolishness is bound in the heart of your child, as it was and is in the heart of my children. If perverseness is bound, woven in their hearts, then God tells us how to deal with that. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That's what the Lord says. Now, you know as well as I do, this is not talking about uh, harshness and, and, and child abuse at all. But anytime you mention these kinds of things, people immediately go there and put God as some kind of bully. But are you a better parent than the Lord Jesus Christ would be? Are you a better parent than our Heavenly Father would be who, who gave us these very words? If he says the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? I'll tell you how, what part of the remedy is for that. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But you have got to get that will and that heart to the place where they'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, as a pastor, is watching for your souls. You are watching for the souls of your children. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Very clear. Proverbs 23, verse 13, withhold not correction. Again, discipline, corporal punishment in the context is what it's speaking of. From the child, correction shall deliver his soul from hell. Do you see where the lines are drawn? Of course Satan doesn't want a a mother and a father in a home and a father overseeing his house well and for rebellion to be dealt with and and discipline to, to be given. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself. And that's what we see today. What we see today is parents obeying their children very perfectly, very well doing what their children want to do instead of what they ought to do and what the Scripture says to do. A child left to himself, here's a Bible promise for you. A child left to himself will bring to his mother shame. Well, it goes without saying that we must take into account the age and the the situation and that you, I know, would have wisdom to deal with these things, and I can certainly help you in a more one-on-one way, but just to say that, that part of doing the Lord's will is to, for a father to exercise authority that makes it advisable for his children to do the right thing. Well, they won't want to go back and do that again. It's not very profitable, and it's not very fun. Secondly, a father must have enough wisdom to make it natural and reasonable for his children to obey. We've addressed that portion of Scripture where it's wrong for fathers to provoke their children to wrath. Do as I say, but not as I do. That goes back to the picture I described of the guy, you know, a while ago. It is reprehensible for a father, and especially a Christian father, to say, don't do as I do, but do as I say. And don't, you know, don't make any bones about it. Just, you know, this, this authoritarian without living out the gospel of Christ, without living it out before them and making it, you know, fathers, we should do as much as we can to make it easy for our children to obey. It's not that we're setting up obstacle course for them and and trying to catch them in not obeying. We take it in, in consideration the age level and their understanding and their maturation level and what they're able to do. You don't expect of a, of a four year old what you expect of a 10 year old. That's unreasonable. Uh, but, but you do expect certain things, and you uh, earnestly before the Lord seek his face of how to, to point them in the right direction and, and be reasonable. Our Lord is reasonable to us. His commandments are not grievous. He doesn't try to make it hard for us to obey. He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so he shows us, and he's the example for us, isn't he? Authority must be, not be arbitrary, but tempered with reasonableness. Sometimes we have to back up and say, well, you know, that was maybe it was an unreasonable request and, and examine it. Children may not, have, uh, may not challenge their father's authority, yet they should understand why they are expected to behave in a certain way. Third, he says, a father must show a love that makes it delightful to obey. Our Savior lavishes love upon us, doesn't he? Oh, how rich his love is toward us. How, how condescending it is toward us. And he's ever comforting. We see him as the the shepherd gathering the little lambs and the sheep and being tender toward them, even when the shepherd has to discipline. It's always in in great love and affection with the goal in mind that that they be salvaged and saved 
and uh, presented before the Lord. Children should be motivated, he writes, to obey because they do not want their uh, inherent love relationship with him, uh, their intimate love relationship with him to be hindered. And so we should be motivated by love that makes it delightful to obey. Fourth, a father must be able to convince his children of the urgency, the priority, the privilege of salvation and obedience to the word of God. It may be be picking up their Legos now, but at some point it will be answering to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you see the goal is not just a neat floor, as important as that is, but that you're standing and answering before the Lord and the soul is at stake. Once you get that into mind, you see things in a much different light. The reason a church leader must have a well-managed home is obvious. He asks the question there, doesn't he, in verse 5. If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Admittedly, this is difficult, isn't it? And we're all learning. We're all learning to subject ourselves to the will of God and to his word. And, and we, as I've already mentioned, in no wise say that we have arrived or a picture of it. But this is the standard that God gives us. The phrase church of God here refers to the local assembly over, whom the, over which the, the, the Lord has placed that pastor. To take care of uh, is from the word that means a broad term that is used by our Lord in the parable of the Good Samaritan where he takes care of the man who's wounded and, and left for dead. And You see that beautiful picture of how that's done, taking care of. My father, who did not profess salvation, at least to my knowledge, taught me several invaluable lessons, and, and one of them it rings in my ears daily. And he says this, Son, a man takes care of his business. He does those things that he's supposed to do. And here we see the, the, that same thing. If a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he be able to take care of the church of God? Think about the Good Samaritan taking care of that man. Put it on my account. He, he went, bound up the wound and poured in the oil and did all that he could, that nurturing, helping. Uh, he didn't just see a problem. He uh, condescended and stooped to try to help the problem and to, to make things go in a better way. An elder is responsible for leading people to the Lord, to holiness, to obedience, and to witness Crucial matters that must be tested in his own home, he writes. Resolving conflict. Well, there's plenty of that. If you've got where two or three are gathered, you've got conflict, don't you? And especially uh, in a home when, the, when the, debate, the, the, the children want the same toy at the same time. You have to be referees and everything else. Resolving conflict. Well, that's, a, that's, that's what I'm sure that some of you parents of little ones think you do most often is resolving conflict. Building unity, it's important that you build unity in your family because our society is tearing that apart. They don't like to see a unified family, and so uh, the, the, our society seeks to scatter the family as much as possible, and it's the very opposite of what the Lord is trying to achieve in that home. Everybody on their own wavelength, doing their own thing, with their own earbuds and iPods and all of that stuff, which may not be bad in and of itself, but, but you just see whole families, and they're just... Uh, like different individuals in different universes. How can, that, how can we achieve what the scripture is saying here of unity here in that way and maintaining love and serving each other? Where else can that be so learned in the home of serving one another? These are essentials to church life that are challenges also in the home. 
If he succeeds in his family, he's likely to succeed in God's family. If not, he's disqualified. That's blunt writing, isn't it? But isn't that what the Holy Spirit tells us here? One that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have dealt with some very serious matters here. Anytime we're talking about your work and your home and your church, it's serious business. We pray for your light. We pray for your enablement. I pray for Holy Spirit wisdom for these fathers and mothers and how to guide and lead and how to correct and all those questions that they're flooded with day by day. We pray a hedge of protection around each home as we pray for that precious home this morning. No matter what age the children are, that you would keep out the fiery darts of the wicked one and that you'd protect them from the onslaught and the, the cesspool of sin that, that, that Hollywood and this world tries to, to pump into our homes day by day. And Lord, while we're in this world and, and must rear our children to be stalwart in it, may our homes be havens of beauty and peace and love and respect. And may we mirror all those things that, that you desire for us to see here in, in our church. Lord, I thank you for these mothers and fathers and how I pray for them. And for those of us who are older who've reared our children, and Lord, we still pray for our adult children and, and grandchildren. And we pray for these young families in our church. Oh, bless them and help them. And may we come alongside them and encourage them and help them, Lord. May, may no one selfishly think, well, I've done my part. Let them do their time. Oh, no, may we all bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. May these younger parents be open and submissive and teachable. May they get their advice not from Oprah, Lord, or from the, the, the good housekeeping, but from the Word of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.